millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Captur comes with a five-star safety rating and is an ideal compact SUV with lots of space for the family. Pick up your 192 Captur at Blackstone Motors this August. See blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Thursday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We've a packed two hours ahead for you, so let's get straight to business today. My first guest has been CEO of Parentline since 2002. 17 years on, Rita O'Reilly has seen it all. However, during her tenure, the issues have changed, especially in the whole area of aggression. And to talk about this and more besides, I'm delighted to say she's in the hot seat in studio with me today. Rita, you're very welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Now, I, I... I am taken aback, I have to say, by a stat that I, I I saw and read about in the paper some week back, some weeks back, and you were talking about it. Six years ago, aggression wasn't on the agenda at all. It was a little bit on the agenda, and then we recognised it as getting there, and there was more and more calls every day about it. So we began counting it at that stage. We didn't have it on our statistics prior to that, and we began to see it. So when we began to see it and count it, we realised that this is a huge issue for parents. And then we went looking at what can we do about it, and we introduced the Nonviolent Resistance Programme, and... It has all grown out of that. and I, mm, From that point. Yeah. But when it, you, you have a lovely, you have a pie chart here and you have oh, it I love broken a chart. Up. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's so graphic. Yeah. It jumps at you. But there it is. Anger, aggression. Almost 20% of the calls coming into you in Parent Line are related to this. What underpins this? Or why do you think this is that it's just taken this leap? I can't be 100% sure because I'm not a psychologist or a psychotherapist or anything like that. But just on stories we hear into the helpline and I mean, Parentline take 3000 calls a year. So we have a good finger on the pulse. And um, it seems to be where kids are more and more involved in social media, more and more spend more and more time in front of a screen playing very violent games. It's a very one on one you know, where you and I are of an age where we would have been kicking football or running around the streets Mm. and your mother would say, don't come home yet. Don't want to see you. Now kids spend hours on end in front of a screen. And what they're dealing with is very, really, really good stuff that grabs them in and it's very, very violent and it's very individual. And even though they might be playing a game with a mate down the road or in another country... It's not one-on-one. It's just that, and it builds up. Sometimes kids forget to eat. They forget to sleep. You know, it, it's huge. Now, as I said, that's 
my feeling on it and it's what we hear parents say and I don't know, maybe the experts have more statistics and research on it. But I also, I'm a mother of a boy. (laughs) He's now 22, but when he was a teenager, there was lots of, you know, I had to drag him away. I had to be very Mm. harsh on him. Mm. And you could see the difference. Like you might say the dinner's on the table and if you didn't drag him out, he might forget it, you know. And then the other thing they do is they take the phones to bed and the computers to bed so they're not getting sleep. And they, you know, it could be two in the morning and mum and dad are asleep and don't realise what the what they're at. And the next morning then they're tired for school. So we're missing out on sleep, we're missing out on exercise, and we're missing out on good food. And, you know, of course it leads to... All that equals then people being cranky, being upset, not themselves, and this wells up. It wells up and they react. Um, and, you know, parents just don't know what to do. Now, it was wrong in the day when parents, I think, turned around and gave kids a clather for something like that. Mm. It just didn't work and not the way to approach it. But parents just don't know what to do. And the initial reaction is to react by saying, oh, don't talk to me like that. And I'm not having this in my house. And the whole thing explodes. And then the next day it happens again and again. So. And then you're into a, a, a cycle of it. The other thing I was thinking, you mentioned that food there. Yeah. We don't sit round the table anymore. No, we don't. And Rita, I'm a tray man myself, to be honest with you, from the telly. But it is a factor, isn't it? It is a factor. And you see, sitting around the table, having a meal, it's not just the meal. It's the chat and it's engaging with one another and it's dropping the phone and it's, you know, where parents will know what's going on. And it's their opportunity maybe to lay down a law in a in a quiet way without a fight you know it's it's a pleasant way and the siblings interact with one another you know it's a, it's a really positive thing to do the other thing you'd have to point the finger we're talking about what children do um, and two things about this is start as you mean to go on like there are people in the midst of this crisis now and it seems as if we're set fair that this will continue ad infinitum if, 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 you've allo- if you've allowed this happen, taking the phones to bed, not eating at the table, no exercise, becoming solitary in your yeah. behaviours, how do you stop the juggernaut or well, turn it round? You just have to stop it. You have to stop it. I mean, the, the programme the Parent Line run is called Nonviolent Resistance Programme. And the very first step on that is to de-escalate so that you sort of, when the row kicks off, you walk away. And I know that's very, very hard. That's very, very hard. And we, in fact, find that as parents go through that programme, the day they get that de-escalation message is the day it begins to start working. But then after that, you've got to show it affection and love to the child, but also you've got to become a parent and start laying down the boundaries for your child and the the boundaries that suit your family Mm. and your household. And you start laying those down. And it... Part of the programme is you start laying it down for the whole family. You don't just pick the kid that's kicking off. This In this house, we don't have anger and aggression. In this house, we don't allow the phones in the bedroom. In this house, the Wi-Fi goes off at nine o'clock. Whatever the rules are for this house, but it applies to everybody in the house. Mm. And so that part of the reason for that is that you're not focusing on the negativity and focusing on where the difficulty is. Yes. People must parent. That That is the, the basic message. Here's the thing. Parents, let's look at parents ourselves. Helicopter parenting. Yeah. You know, we do everything under the sun for them. It's a mistake. Yeah. Oh, I think it's a big mistake. We seem to have... 
we're parenting too much at one level. You know, we're sort of saying we're picking up the clothes on the bedroom floor. We put the stuff in the dishwasher. We don't ask you to hang out the washing or do the bit hoovering or all those cut the grass, whatever. We're, we give you a lift to school. We can complete your homework for you. We do all of that. But we're also saying, OK, go on off to your bedroom and play on your phone. You know, so there's a contradiction there, you know, that we're doing too much of the the minding and not enough of the parenting, if you, if you know what I mean. Very good point. And, and, and that just does not add up. No, it doesn't. At, at all. No. The other thing about young people today, do you feel there's a greater sense of entitlement than ever? I have a feeling there's a greater sense of entitlement by everybody than ever. I don't know if it's any different for young people, to be honest with you. I think adults and young people... Across the board. Across the board. I think we're all very entitled at the moment. I think we really are. Um, I don't know. I I just think we are. I mean, I have to say, having said all this, while we do get 3,000 calls every year, and that's a lot of people, there's a lot of good kids out there. Of course. There's a lot of good kids and a lot of good parents out there. Do you know what I mean? But I do think everybody is very entitled and that rubs off on the kids. You know, if mammy and daddy think they're entitled to because I'm worth it. Yes. Well, that's going to kick off on the kids. The other thing is, uh, oh, I meant to ask you, you know, when when you talk about calls to, to your line, this is important. Um, what age are you talking, do they, they ring you and say, my child, from what age? Where, where do you Where do you get calls about aggression? From what age? It's typically from 11, 12, up until about 15, 16. Okay, so those that's teenage, that, middle teenage years. Yes. Yeah. That's the bulk, is that's it? That's the bulk. More than 50% of our calls are those middle teenage years. Now, we do get calls from parents of brand new babies because we are the National Helpline for Postnatal Depression. So parents, mothers who are suffering from depression, postnatal depression, will ring to talk about it. And that's a new baby. Or you might even sort of one or two get they're not settling at night or what age will I send my child to school at you know so you've got all those right up to adult children um, particularly during the Celtic Tiger we got a huge amount of calls from parents of adult children and they were kids that were you know couldn't buy a house couldn't it's nearly like it is today Mm. couldn't buy a house moving back with their parents so you had a 23 24 25 year old moving back having lived away for five or six years and they think mammy and daddy are there to mind them still, you know. So we did a lot of calls about that then. But at the moment, it's definitely that middle teenage years. Do you ever get calls from the other extreme of the, of the spectrum, older parents that have, you know, adult children that are giving them a hard time, you know, mm. emotionally, physically, you know, yeah, that I, type? I, probably the first week I was in parent line, I heard a mother she was in her 80s ringing about her 60-year-old son, 60-odd-year-old son, um, who was living at home and giving her a really rough time, a really rough time. Now, this was, I suspect, a guy who wasn't able to look after himself. Do you know what I mean? And he reacted by yes. mistreating his mother. Mm. But there was, what we do often get calls like that, often get calls. And we get a lot of calls from parents maybe where they're, uh, adult children have separated and they're not seeing their grandchildren are not seeing their son-in-law or daughter-in-law, people that they would have had a relationship with and that that's been knocked on the head. So they, they get a lot of calls about that. We get calls from parents who think that their own children aren't parenting properly. Do you? We do. Which is... How do you handle that? Well, I think we have to inform... I mean, Parentline give... We don't give hard and fast advice. It's, it's suggestions, it's guidance, it's support. But um, we would probably say they aren't your children. 
you know, we discuss their concerns mm. and give them some guidance, but remind them that they really aren't their children. You know, they, yeah. they are. You their have children. to leave it to the parents. The parents, of the child, yeah, 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 to do. And yeah. a, a lot and of the I know mummy and daddy probably feel they know best, yeah. but you know, you have to. They have to learn. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> if you think back to your own time, a lot yeah. of people muddled through like yeah. ourselves and you yeah. didn't know much yeah. and you, you learn as you go as well. Just back to the teenagers uh, and we talked about uh, issues with, you know, phones and not eating, not sleeping. What about the whole area of alcohol and, and, and drugs? We get a lot of call, less now than we used to. And I think that's probably because not because alcohol and drugs have decreased, but because there are specific helplines for alcohol and drugs so parents that will pick up the phone to them Uh, but we get a lot of calls about the consequences of alcohol and drugs and actually last week we were extremely busy because of the leaving cert you've got parents wondering you know will we let the kids go out to celebrate or have you got them then afterwards parents sort of they came in in a fairly bad state last night what do we do so you know, it was a busy, it does definitely affect parents and they're wondering, you know, this debate, will I let them have a drink at home to get used to it or, you know, when they're younger or will we leave it till they're 18 and go to the pub or whatever, that parents would often ring to explore that situation with parent line before they discuss it with their child. You know, that it's it's almost mm. a practice run. Does that come under your second most prominent ca- category? Anger, aggression is number one. Teenage issues. Would that fall the, into that? That falls into that. It's those kind of things like anybody who's ever a parent of a teenager knows, you know, will I, they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They're not eating right. They want to go to a disco that you're not so sure about them. They don't want to lift home. You're insisting they want to lift home. You know, all of those things. They're screaming and shouting. The room's in a heap. They're not doing their homework. They're... They're little things almost. They seem big to the parent at the time. But when in the great scheme of things, they're not huge. They're just teenagers learning to be... Going through that teenage cycle. exactly. Is there anybody who escapes that really? I don't think so. I don't think so. And my husband says that uh, all our children should be born with a button on their back. So you twist it to the right, they need to go out a bit more. And you twist it to the left, they went out too much. (laughs) Or they're not studying enough or they're studying too much. So... It's a bit like that. You know, it's the teenager wants to live their life. The parents want them to live another life. And there's that minor conflict. Mm. You know, it's it's big at the time, but it's not huge. The, the, the essence of what you do is you take the calls, all right. But do, do you refer on? Do you say you're not you're not so judgmental in any way. No. You don't. You're not a panacea to the ill. So so what is parent life? It's somewhere for parents to talk and be heard by expert listeners. There are people that, you know, there is a difference between somebody who listens and somebody who's just there, that they're expert listeners, so that they're there to give the parent that time. And because of the confidentiality, they can say things they may not say elsewhere. You know, you talk to your mother about issues about your child and they say, actually, they're grand, they're fine, they grow out of it. But that's not what you want to hear. You want to be able to express how you're, like this is parent-like. So you want the parent to express how the parent is feeling and the impact it has on them. So we give them that opportunity. Very often a parent will ring us and say, I want a bit of advice. And we say, OK, go ahead, let's talk about it because we don't actually give advice. And at the end of an hour, they hang up and say, thanks very much for that advice. I'm going to do exactly what you told me to do. But we haven't told them to do anything. We've given them the opportunity to yeah. think it through. Mm. Um, And then if we feel that this is a situation that we can't handle or the parent needs more expertise, we work with a database of more than 3,000 organisations we can send them on to. 
you know, it might be the guards, it might be a counsellor, it might be a social worker or whatever it is, the school, their school support people. So we refer them on there. So So in serious cases, the law may have to be involved, but are they exceptional? Yeah. Well, you see, the law is very seldom involved with parent line because we don't know who we're talking to. Okay. So it's an opportunity for a parent to talk about this, but we don't have to report it because we don't know who we're talking to. Now, over the years, there's been a number that we've known who they were and obviously we're covered by the law. And if we know who we're talking to and there is excessive violence or sexual abuse or anything like that, we are obliged to report it. Is there a stigma around this still? Huge huge stigma we think we are meant to be perfect parents everybody thinks we're meant to be a perfect parent and the notion of having to ask for support ask for what to do it's not something people talk about it out loud there's definitely a stigma around it and I mean my dream is that every parent gets a parenting course at every stage of their life like from the before the baby is born when the baby's one, two, three, you know, and you know that you can dip in and out of this whenever you want. And it's not, most people do go for parenting courses when they see there's an issue. My God, that child is getting, so I better go looking for a parenting course in a hurry. But if you could do this in advance and as you go, I mean, I've no doubt you've had training for your job and I've had training for my job, but parenting we don't have training for. So it's something that... It is so true. It's the most responsible thing you can do as a human being and yet they're... Isn't your right. as they say you need a license for a dog, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that is a well-known saying. Eighty-six yeah. percent of callers are women. What does that say? Is, is that just logic that that's the way it is? Well, I think really, Mammy does most of the parenting in our society. Uh, you know, like if somebody needs to go to the school, it tends to be the mother, or somebody needs to, you know. And very often we still have a situation where dad's out at work and mam's there during the day. You know, mm. like we do have our mam might work part time and dad's full time. Um, yeah, 86, but it is changing slightly over the years. It's shifting ever so slightly. Uh, in year one in parent line, one man rang. and One? He, <laughs> one man. And he asked how he could help his wife with her parenting. So he was very nice. <laughs> he was very good. <laughs> he he wanted to support his wife. That's changed over the years mm. and it's just creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. I don't know if it'll ever become 50-50, you know, but it is definitely creeping up. Men like, women are more talkers though as well. You know, mm. parent line is there. Calls typically last just under an hour and for women you know, by their nature, will talk like that. Yeah. Men, less so. OK, so that's still the case. What do you say if somebody's listening today and this resonates with them, that they are in the midst of a situation like this where there is anger and aggression going on inside the four walls and they're doing nothing about it, they're just trying to live through it? What do do you- something about it. Do something about it. I mean, the thing about anger and aggression is like any domestic violence. It has to be spoken about and until it's brought out, it won't it won't stop. And I'm not saying for one minute that the mother or father stands up on the roof and tells all the neighbours that this is going on. It is a private thing. It's private for the child as well as the parent. You know, like it is It is quite private. However, it has to stop. So I would say pick up the phone and ring Parentline um, and you will get the guidance there. And I would say pick up the phone and ring Parentline no matter what a parenting issue you're dealing with because if it's something that's bothering you now, 
it's going to continue to bother you until you do something about it. So just pick up the phone and have that chat. Nobody knows who you're talking to. We mm. don't know what part of the country you're coming from. The numbers are hidden both in and out. They're blocked. We don't know what number is ringing. It's, everything is a private number. It's really assuring and reassuring to Absolutely, know. absolutely. And you can give a false name, you know, whatever. Mm. Now, if you feel comfortable about giving your number... And your name, that's fine. And if you if there's a mess, if you want to leave a message with a phone number, leave it. We will erase it immediately. It's once you know once we make that call, that number is gone. So there's absolutely no fear of anybody knowing who you are or the number appearing on a phone bill. Talk to me about this um, in the newspaper article, the Israeli-based program. It's called Non-Violent Resistance Program. Okay. And it was uh, developed in Israel, which proves to me that it's something that happens all over the world. It was developed in Israel many, many years ago. And a guy called Declan Coogan, Professor Declan Coogan, um, who's based in Galway University, sort of brought, he was a social worker. And in his work as a social worker in Swords, he saw this is an issue that's becoming more and more this violence in the home and angry to anger towards parents and controlling parents as well. It's not just the violence that's controlling. This is happening more and more. So he began to look into it and he went to Galway and he studied it and he's devo- sort of Irishized that programme. And at this point in time, Parentline deli- is unique in that we deliver it on a one-to-one basis over the phone. So no matter what part in the country you're in, we'll do it over the phone and it's available to everybody. It's free of charge. And, you know, you just take it as at your pace. The original programme was 16 weeks. We felt that was too long because you say to your parents, this is going to be four months, you know. So typically now it's about five or six weeks. Um, But parents tend to see an improvement after the second week. So it's an hour a week is is what it takes. So non-violent resistance Resistance it's called. And the whole thing is it's non-violent so Mm. that... If if the child is kicking off for any reason, the parent doesn't. The parent comes back and says, no, I'm walking away from this. We don't want violence in this house. And there's no excuse for the abuse. I mean, parents ring up and say, but he's not well or but he took drugs or but he's unhappy in school. It doesn't matter. That has to be forgotten about. Do you... No, from your experience or, or all you've dealt with, it, you heard the saying, um, a street angel and a house devil, you know, yeah. and that's what a child can be of any oh, age. Absolutely, that's what anybody can inside be. Inside them, yeah. or anybody, or yeah. a parent, yeah. it works everywhere. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Is, is there identifiers? Can something be identified outside of the home that, you know, says, you know, that child could be, you know, at home? Or, or, or can they more have two, t- a split personality? Yeah, more typically it's in the home. It's in the home. You right. always hurt the one. Doesn't you love present, kind of yeah. Thing. You know they're not going out and kicking off with teachers okay, yeah. or kicking off with their right. mates, yeah. Because they'll soon so be you, forgotten so, about. Yeah. yeah. But the thing about it, mommy and daddy put up with this. You know what I mean? Mommy and daddy won't throw them out, but their friends would say, "No, we want nothing to do with you if they're violent with them." You know. Yes. Uh, so our teachers or, or there's aggression or that, in, that in the yeah, in the school yeah. or in the sports yeah. club or yeah. in company with yeah. friends, as yeah. you say. Yeah. You know, typically this happens behind closed doors it happens with mummy and daddy at home now some kids it's everywhere you know and but that tends to be another issue you know mm. it's not just that violence there might be something going on for them mm. um, but uh, it's it's typically just in the home so therefore it's up to mummy and daddy to sort it mm. and the other thing people often ask me ask us is is this something that say that single mothers or mother parenting by herself might be more susceptible than when daddy's around you know with that bit of male strength kind of thing um, but it's not it's the same and 
for both and across socio-economic groups all I mean you get people who would like we often say we don't know who they are we don't know what kind of money they have whatever but you might say you know have you considered changing school oh yes I'm going to send them to a private school or I have all the money in the world for counselling or whatever so it's absolutely everybody absolutely everybody I have about a minute left and then the final minute I said I'd finish with this one is parenting becoming more difficult as time moves on well, I think things like social media, I mean, my kids are now 30 and 22 and I could see there's eight years between them. I could see a difference between the two in terms of like when my older daughter was young, I'd say to her, well, you're not getting money for, for your credit. That's gone now. You know, there's Wi-Fi everywhere. So they have access to the yeah. world everywhere. So that's just one thing. And I think social media has a big part in making mm life more difficult for parents. I hate sounding like a fuddy-duddy and saying that, you know what I mean? Because it's really great in so many ways. But I do think it makes oh, life difficult. Oh, you've been absolutely honest. And yeah. you've seen all the changes in your time as CEO here as well. And it's important to, to speak about these things. Listen, it's been great that you've dropped into us today. Thanks Thank so much. I really much. appreciate Thank it. I've you. enjoyed the conversation. I will mention the number again. If you want to talk to Parent Line, as Rita told you a few moments ago, in complete confidence, the number is low call 1890 Sorry, Jerry, can I just say there's another number and it's 01873 Sometimes people's package doesn't allow them to use the 1890 oh, to cost yes. the money. So the eight seven three three five hundred. That's the normal number. Zero one Dublin. Rita O'Reilly, CEO of Parent Line. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you very much. Now, great news last evening. Loud County Board convening a special meeting for delegates to reveal plans for the new stadium in Dundalk. Aidan Beryl is treasurer of the County Board and he's an integral part of the subcommittee set up to deliver the new stadium and he's on the line with us this afternoon. Aidan, happy days for Loud Football. Yes, Jerry. Yeah, we're moving along nicely with this uh, project. Uh, I think I spoke to you some months back in possibly December when we got the OK from Lake County Council to, to purchase the land. And we've moved that along now that we're applying for planning permission for the stadium. So happy days for all, all round, yes. Now just summarise for listeners today. I know you've been all over sport, but again in late lunch, what the ground will comprise of? The ground, um, basically, I suppose the, the four or five major components of the ground will be obviously the, the main pitch, which is full size. Uh, we have a warm-up pitch at the back. It's slightly smaller again. We have a main stand, which encompasses the um, club, uh, the dressing rooms underneath. Um, and then we have a covered terrace on the opposite side, both running the full length of the pitch. So they're the main components of the, of the, of the ground. Of course, we have floodlighting on the main pitch up to a fairly high standard that would be suitable for televising matches. And then we have also floodlighting on the, the warm-up pitch as well. So... It'll be it'll be a very attractive ground to 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 have for loud. Fourteen thousand capacity overall, with four thousand seats and the rest standing. Good access as well, Aidan. Parking, all that type of stuff, integral to the project. Yes, we have plenty of parking in the vicinity, and we will have hopefully access to parking in in DKIT as well beside us, our neighbours beside us. But there are a lot of roads set beside the facility, and there will be ample parking on match day. Where is it, just again, pinpointed on the Inner Relief Road for listeners who may not be familiar today? Yeah, it's from, if you're passing the Inner Relief Road between the, the retail park, you'll see the, the DKIT Sports Dome there on, on 
and then the Himes factory as it was, we're in between those two there. That's that grand as moment is, is lying uh, idle. That's where the, 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 the facility would be positioned. There will be entrance off, the main entrance will be coming off the inner relief road. Now, the two big questions that Loud Gales and others are interested in finding out about. Number one, this is going to cost uh, quite a bit. What, what do you reckon it'll cost overall and how are you going to fund it? Well, we have had a costing done on the Jerry um, back in uh, the early part of the year when we were talking to our uh, Crow Park colleagues and uh, the price at that time was around £12 million to complete the stadium. Um, the funding and that, that's, this is where the hard work starts now. We have applied for, for grant aid from the Department of um, Tourism, Transport and Sport and that first stream of that has been considered at the moment. We would hope that that would be approved before the end of the year maybe as early as, as next month, September. And following that, um, we will apply for Stream 2, which will hopefully come in, in, in 2020. In addition to that, Crow Park will help us out in some way as well, but we do have to contribute ourselves towards it. We will have to do a certain amount of fundraising over the next 12 to 18 months. And um, hopefully we, we, when we, people see the plans that we revealed last night, they will be very enthusiastic about it and they will support us in every way possible. Will it come back much on the clubs to uh, raise funds? I know there's other avenues, of course, within the county. And, and how much do you think the figure, or I'm sure you know, you're going to have to raise within Loud County itself? Well, we, we probably, you know, the, the, the Department of uh, Funding, um, we just don't know exactly how much that will comprise. We don't know exactly how much Co Park will put into it, but we will certainly have to raise an uh, amount of funding ourselves. Now, we did... I have said for quite some time that we could not levy the clubs and won't levy the clubs uh, going forward because at the moment the clubs are already levied in relation to our Centre of Excellence in Darver. Uh, they have been paying that for the last number of years and will continue for the next five or six. Now that the bank is broken on that debt, we are down now below the half million mark and for that reason we will not be uh, levying the clubs going forward. However, we will be expecting clubs and I think when they see the project in hand, they will want to get involved in some shape or form over the next 12 to 18 months in fundraising. And we would be relying on them to give us a hand with fundraising. Take a stab at the figure, will you? Is it four million you need to raise? Is it two? Is it six? You know, of the 12. I, I, don't, I don't want, I, I couldn't put a, a figure on it at the moment. It's just at the moment we, we were probably looking for 12 million all over uh, between the department, between Crow Park and ourselves. So, like, we probably have to raise ourselves somewhere in the region of three million. But you know, I, I don't want to be tied to that. Yeah. If we have to raise a little bit more, if we have to, if we're satisfied with a little bit less, but that's the ballpark figure, is about Jerry that we'd have to be looking at. And the uh, question that everyone wants answered: When will the diggers go in? When will the work start? And secondly, when would you envisage Louth playing their first game at the stadium? Yeah, look, we we I've mentioned those dates before, and indeed our colleagues on, on the committee, uh, Frank, I, I think you had interviewed before, Frank Lynch. And Peter Fitzpatrick, and like we've all looked forward to 2020, but that's not going to be possible at this point in time. We would like to have the diggers in yesterday. In fact, we had a couple of plans to get them in before this, uh, to start levelling the site, to start filling the site. And um, because of uh, applications for grants, we're, uh, like every other grant, we're not allowed to touch the soil or touch the ground until we get approval for those grants. So if we get approval for the grant in September, we'd like to think we'll kick it in there and start digging in, in, in October. So to move that on then to when we'll be playing in it, I'd love to think we'll be playing it in, in 2020, but I don't think that's feasible. 
2021 is probably the next year after that. So it would be a dream to have a loud team running out there sometime in 2021, or indeed the Martins are in the championship there. Who knows? But <laughs> you just that's you know we have to set set ourselves targets. But at the moment we're 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 relying on 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 funding, and when that comes through, we'll we'll start. We're ready to start. We have planning permission to to fill the site. Which we got some weeks back, and um, we're now have a planning application in for the full stadium. So hopefully that will come true in due course, and uh, after that, it's, it's full, all systems go. And if people want to have a look at what's involved, you can go online and just uh, key in New Loud Stadium and there's uh, a lovely YouTube video there about six, seven minutes and it brings you in more detail through the ins and outs of the new stadium. Aidan, it is a good day for Loud Football and thank you so much for joining us on Late Lunch with the update this afternoon. Great, thanks Jerry. Here to the ground, farming independent, radio, social media of the land. Yes, he's Ireland's best known farmer from Gormanston and County Mead who joins me today to talk about all things agricultural. Yes, we're going to talk Brexit, beef, the environment. We need a week, but you look, Darren McCullough, we'll do our best, won't we, for the next while. How are you doing? <laughs> Great, Great to be here. Book a man just to be here, so it is, Jerry. <laughs> hey, I want to tell them this. You, you expect Dara, you know, to arrive with something, but he's really caught me on the hop today because you've come into this studio with two of the most beautiful displays of flowers. What's this about? Yeah, well, uh, the main business at home, you know, three years ago, almost three years ago, uh, I gave up being a full-time journalist and a part-time farmer to become a full-time farmer and a part-time journalist. And the reason was because I was going up and down the train to Dublin, to the Irish Independent and going into Ear to the Ground, and I was spending all my time thinking about the farm. And I said, Dara, listen, you've got the disease, you've got it bad, so stop trying to fight it. So I went home to farm full-time and the focus at home has been growing cut flowers and we grow acres and acres and acres of, of flowers, mainly daffodils and we got into uh, sunflowers and gladiola and lily uh, all outdoor and that was great and we've built it up uh, with little mainly as our main outlet but then in the last year people may notice the tunnels going up if they're driving towards the M1 there at Gormiston and the apple green on one side of the road they see big tunnels over the uh, springing up in the field uh, opposite that and their two tunnels are put up in the last kind of 18 months and the idea was to grow all these other types of flowers that are just I mean I have sweet pea there you got a whiff it earlier oh they're lovely and, and people love especially women it brings out so evocative of memories like mm. you know scents and smells and we can do all these wonderful flowers Sheena is looking after me my, my sister-in-law is looking after the flowers and the tunnels and she does a wonderful job. We're looking at, I've got a dahlia here, it's the size Look of, at the size of it. Yeah, size of your hand yeah. and zinnias and uh, nigella, all kinds of stuff that you can't actually buy main, like we'll say in a supermarket or in a florist because if you go into any florist around the country, the vast majority of the flowers in there are, are off a truck from Holland mm. and uh, the flowers that come from Holland have to be ones that are was strong enough to stand up to the trucking and the pushing around and the shipping overnight and all the rest of it. And all these lovely traditional uh, flowers like sweet pea, you just don't see them in shops anymore. We said, why don't we give it a go? So here is uh, a new vista opening up, let me say. And it ties in with something you've been on about for the last while. So let's deal with this now. You're well aware of, you know, all the warnings from the scientists about this little planet that we all inhabit and this little piece of green land that we live on here called Ireland. 
And you've been quite vocal about this. To the point, Dara, I have to say that quite a number in the farming community say, has he swapped sides here? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I think there's no point in us sticking our heads in the sand, right? So... uh, Irish farming has some wonderful strengths and our tagline for the flowers is they're, they're grown, not flown. Yeah. And we need to, as, as a society, we're grappling. And in the last 12 months, this is all accelerated. You know, suddenly people are switching on to, you know, how they handle their waste, how much they consume, where their stuff comes from, electric cars, their heating, everything, every aspect of what we do every day counts. So, and farming is no different. In fact, farming is the the most important interface with the environment between mankind and the environment because farmers have a bigger impact on our environment than any other segment of society, be they bus drivers, doctors, teachers, guards. It's the farmer that is farming 100 acres or 1,000 acres. He's the guy that really the environment sits in his hands. So that's a double-edged sword. If he's doing his job right, it's absolutely marvellous. But if he's doing it wrong, it's disastrous. So, and farmers are the same as the rest of society. We're not geniuses. We aren't miles ahead of everyone else on this whole climate change business. So we're figuring stuff out and it's coming at us at a rate of knots, yeah? So, you know, in the last few years, we've learned that emissions from our uh, cow herd is a big problem for Ireland. And how do we deal with it? And it's going to be very difficult to square this circle, Jerry. I mean, we could talk for hours about this, but, you know, the facts are, and, and look, hands up, I've vested interest in this. I'm farming. My main income comes from farming. I'm in partnership with my neighbour and uh, he runs a very large dairy farm and I'm very lucky to be in partnership with him because he's a brilliant operator. But th- that unit generates emissions. You can't put a cluster on a cow without, you know, realising that you're, you're generating emissions. But if we were to say, you know, there's various people out there who say, uh, listen, we need to be scaling back our, our cow herd. We have too many cows, too many emissions, need to scale it all back and grow more crops or grow more lettuce and stop imports and stuff. And I'm saying to the lads, hang on a second, dose reality here, right? There's two things we're really good at growing in this country. Number one, is grass, and number two are trees. And both of them generate really uh, antagonistic debate at the moment. Trees, if you go west of the Shannon, are like a bad word. They're almost like wind turbines were around the country a few years ago. Grass isn't so bad, but the reason that, uh, the, the, the thing that utilises the grass best is the cow, right? So what do we do with the grass if we don't put it into cows? Um, and so if we scale back our our, our uh, dairy herd or our beef herds, number one, we need to find some other outlet for that grass or something else to grow in the land. Now, the idea of us, Jerry, suddenly growing carrots and exporting around the world is nonsense. OK, so if you're a carrot grower or a potato grower or a lettuce grower, any of these guys that are in the heart game, they will tell you uh, that it is n- it, they're doing well to compete with the imports. Uh, there's not a hope of them being able to grow stuff to export. We can produce milk and export anywhere in the world because we're one of the cheapest and the best at it. So we need to focus on our strengths and our strength is producing dairy. So if we accept that, then we have to figure out how to do it with the least emissions. And one of the happy uh, facts about Irish dairying is that the vast majority of the milk is produced from grass and that is the lowest carbon footprint milk you can buy. 
So um, we will be some of the best quality and, you know, most ethically uh, produced milk on the planet. But do you see our beef production having to roll back? Now, beef is a separate equation, Mm. yeah? And uh, I've been quite vocal, as you say, over the last few weeks, coming out with what I think are a few home truths um, that need uh, the agriculture community doesn't hear off enough, and particularly beef farmers. And that is that there isn't an income out there for all the beef farmers that are currently dependent on it. And beef farmers kind of know this in their heart of hearts because they know that they're dipping into their subsidy that they get from Europe to keep their enterprise going. I mean, the statistics are uh, you don't have to be an agriculture expert to know this, Jerry. The statistics are up online. You look at them, um, they're from the Central Statistics Office in Chagas, and they show that the, the farmer spends about 14% of a single farm subsidy subsidising his beef production, which is totally bonkers when you think about it because his beef has been sold to some of the wealthiest people in the country and I'm talking about the beef pro- processors out there the Larry Goodmans the Keatings the, the Queelys all these guys they are billionaires um, and the beef farmer I, I, I mean if I was a beef farmer I'd be angry too right let's not let's call a spade a spade uh, you know I'd be angry about the fact that there wasn't a return out of it that I'd been working for nothing um, and that you know there's a lot of other people profiteering on what is a brilliant quality product but rather than cursing the darkness marching up to the top of the hill banging tables like it's been happening over the last couple of weeks and they still haven't got a price increase and I don't think the fundamentals are going to change the the vast majority of Irish beef farmers can't get enough to make a return on what they produce so what's the answer produce less and get more for yes for it. They're, they're neat. I am not saying, and a lot of people are accusing me of this, oh, Darren McCullough is spelling the end of the beef sector. He thinks it's finished. It's not finished. We are always going to be producing beef. Yeah. If we're producing dairy, we're going to be producing beef. And there will also be a niche outlet for that top quality suckler beef. So um, there will be guys who are brilliant at it and they are the guys that are going to survive doing it. But there won't be an income there and there isn't an income there currently for, you know, the 50 or 60 or 70,000 guys that want an income out of it. And, you know, one of the other things that a bit of a... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thing that farmers believe and buy into and are being told this is that, you know, they have a right to make a profit out of beef. Nobody has a right to a profit out of anything. You know, this is capitalism. Uh, you know, people go out of business every day of the week. I, I grew onions for years and failed. And it was a horrible feeling. And it was tears shed. And when you put your blood, sweat and tears into something and it ends up being a failure, that is a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. So I completely empathise with beef farmers that find themselves in this situation today. But that doesn't mean that they should keep banging their heads off a wall and think that they're going to get a different outcome. Mm. There needs to be alternatives. And we need to have this honest conversation. Um, so, and it's not an easy one. There is no silver bullet. No, not everybody has to get out of beef production. But yes, lots of people have to figure out other things to do with their land. With the land, okay. Brexit. <clears throat> yeah. You're deal. all the easy questions today, Jerry. Deal, deal or no deal? Let's let's take a deal scenario. Yeah. That's the ideal what everyone wants yeah. in Ireland, especially North and South. Even though uh, there's even question marks, perhaps about the Ulster a- aspect of it. Yeah. A, a deal. What would a deal mean? Say a deal is done. Is there still implications of a deal with Britain leaving? I think in my heart of hearts that at five minutes to midnight. Um, somebody is going to put a gun, a metaphorical gun, to somebody else's head and say, listen, this is what we're going to offer Aryan. And, you know, as happens in all walks of life, a deal is done. Now, we're being told, or we march up to the precipice here and told that a, a no deal is more and more likely. If a deal is done, life continues. Okay. If a deal isn't done, life will still continue Jerry <laughs> and, and it's a little bit like this money is a little bit like water and trade is a little bit like water it finds its own level it finds its way around arbitrary political pantomimes and obstacles right that's not to say there won't be pain and there won't be issues but what I'm saying is life will go on and the uh, and I suppose I talk about agriculture and food because it's what I think I know best but the we have an all island economy already in agri-food and that is as clear as day follows night. You look at the milk sector here and Lakelands, a local uh, big uh, dairy processing co-op, they have huge processing interests north of the border and there's literally thousands of milk trucks crossing over and back that border every day. But you don't have to go to, to Lakelands. To Bailey's is a product that Lakelands and Glambia um, feed into. I think it's more Glambia actually. And so the cream goes into Baileys. Well, the cream is often produced south of the border, shipped north of the border to be combined with the whiskey, then shipped south of the border again to be exported all around the world. And that's just one product. So we we have this wonderfully integrated um, all-island food economy. And that doesn't happen overnight, Jerry. And it's not going to dismantle overnight either. But it will it will damage it if there's no deal, and we'll be forced that and when I say we, I mean the Republic of Ireland will be forced to pivot away from Britain and pivot away from the north and basically paddle our own canoe and, and that's what they're asking us to do. They're saying, "Listen, lads, you know uh, this is what we want to do. You deal with it and what I'm amazed by, Jerry, is that there isn't more we we've been very good. 
about it in the sense that we haven't been making all kinds of accusations and getting angry and, and voicing that publicly. And I think we deserve a pat on the back for it. Well, it's probably one of the first times, especially like farmers have vocal. We know this anyway, and they have been over the years, and fair use to them, they've had to be. It's an interesting point you make. Darren McCullough's with us on late lunch. Big week on the farm. Yeah. It's coming to the northeast. It is indeed. Uh, Ivan Curran, a neighbour of mine, uh, very well known within the farming community in these parts because he runs a huge operation, like a, an operation that every farmer aspires to have. You go up to his yard, you could eat your dinner off his yard and all his tractors like spaceships. I I die with envy every time I see him pull uh, pull out onto the road. But uh, a great farmer. Um, son of a, a land commission farmer, you know. His dad was from Mayo and has built into an operation covering thousands of acres. Puts all the spuds into Tato. So the, the, the spuds in your Tato crisp bag are more than likely from Ivan's place. Ivan's place. And big week on the farm starting the second, I think it is. The second is a Monday yeah. of September. Yeah. It's the first week of September on television and, and not to be missed. And you're back with Ear to the Ground, aren't you? New yeah. series in November. Yeah. It's like series 27 My. or something at like this stage. Look, I know. It's, it's, it's like it's, the Reardon's. <laughs> It's the gift that keeps on giving and uh, it's love just it, Dara. such a pleasure to be involved with the show. You know, I get invited into farmyards all up and down the country and there'll be fellas that would, you know, they, they might disagree with some of my opinions, but they'd always respect, you know, there'd be always a kind of a willingness to hear what you have to say and they'd argue the, the toss and you know, they're there to tell their own stories and as I say, we have food heroes in every parish in the country, you know, just, we, we talk about heroes in the sport sporting pitches and fields and how they do battle every weekend. There's farmers doing battle out there every every week of every year and they're, they're amazing what they do. And of course, you're at the the whim of the weather and the last few weeks I'm sure from a harvesting point of view I, I think of you because it was great up to that point and the straw and the, 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 the crops coming off you know the grain was beautiful I was watching them working down where I live and then they didn't get it all finished and this deluge starts oh it must be painful isn't it? Ah look farmers are never happy uh, when it's um, when we have four weeks of beautiful sunshine we're looking for a bit of rain and now we've had the last two and a half weeks and it's done nothing but rain and I've got about 90 acres of wheat sitting out in the fields and I'm looking at it and going mother of God would you just give us two dry days so we can Well you're going to get them because it's coming it's a lovely weekend this weekend does it materially take away from the quality? It does yeah um, so the, the the grain was fit a week ago and we're getting into the technical stuff now Jerry. just love all this stuff this is what farmers talk about you know when they're they're uh, chewing the cud so to speak but um yeah, so the grain reaches this optimum point and once it's ready to be harvested, saying, listen, come in and get me. I'm ready. I'm going to, you know, give you a bit of a return. And after that point, every day after that point, it starts to lose moisture. Uh, in fact, it, it, it goes into its next cycle. So the worry for farmers now is that they're worried that they're going to start sprouting in the fields. So you'll see if if the thing gets really serious that heads will be drooping and you'll see these little green sprouts coming out of the heads. That's a disaster. All right. Okay. Please God that hasn't happened and the weather will come soon enough to continue uh, a good harvest this year. A couple of things before we wind up. Um the use of sprays and chemicals in in farming mm. and the thoughts towards the bee population and wildlife on farms in accommodating that as well. Do you believe that 
these are serious issues oh. now for farmers. <laughs> you are codding yourself as a farmer if you don't think your use of chemicals is a serious thing. Um, and to be fair, I don't think there's any farmers out there who use a lot of chemicals who don't treat it very seriously. For a start, from a legislative point of view, you have to record absolutely everything. And that's only right, Jerry. I mean, without putting too fine a point on it, when you put uh, chemicals into your sprayer, whether it's a herbicide or a fungicide or insecticide, it's a poison. You're trying to poison something, okay? And you have to do it in such a scientific way that it doesn't leave any residue on the crop. That is takes precision, right? So, I mean, people are kind of listening to this going, mother of God, <laughs> I'm never going to eat anything ever again. But that that's how, how modern agriculture works. And it's been working like this for 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 years, right? And I mean, we have this crazy debate about glyphosate. I'm going off on a tangent now, but glyphosate is a really good example of how a uh, big... Uh, chemical industry went out there and said, lads, this stuff is as safe as houses. Don't be worrying about it. You can lash it on everything and it'll still be all right on the night. Yeah. And farmers, it's a brilliant product, a fantastic weed killer. And farmers like me depend on it. Um, And but because it's available, you can pull it off a shelf in a hardware store. You don't have to have any qualifications for using it. And then lo and behold, people crop up in courts in California and all over the place. There's, there's literally, I think, something like 18,000 lawsuits against um, the owner of, of Roundup now. Um, people crop up and say, listen, I, I was using this chemical and I've got cancer. Now, whether the link is ever proven or not, the point is we cannot afford to be blasé about how we use chemicals and they should be really, really tightly monitored. Do you ever see a day? Is it possible to farm without them? Is it possible to become totally organic? Of course it is. Anything's possible. But... But shouldn't we strive for that? Here's the but, right? Okay. Are you po- are you prepared to pay what it costs me to do the job without chemicals, right? So I tried to grow a crop of onions way back when, organically. And I had, I'm not calling you now, I had one fellow in a tractor and this gizmo on the back of the tractor and it was basically three stretchers on it. And I had three lads lying out flat on stretchers, leaning down and and we had the tractor in a crawler box and we crawled up and down beds day after day pulling weeds because, you know, you couldn't spray them. And we did that day in, day out. And then it started raining and then disease got going on my onions. And if you're growing a crop intensively, you, you've a monoculture, you know, you've got this acres of, of a crop um, and the disease gets in, it just goes through it like wildfire. Uh, so to grow things organically, you need to have very small volumes. You need to have an awful lot of labour. And the cost of it is sky high. And human beings want the cheapest food possible. We're all human. We go into, I'm guilty of this as well. I go into supermarket and I look at things and I'm looking at the prices. I'm also... <laughs> so it's a vicious circle. Uh, look, I think what is happening, in fairness, to get back to your original question, is that conventional farming is is becoming getting closer and closer to organic type methods. So we've got a kind of a convergence of the two systems where at one stage organic farming was the kind of the people were 
you know, the only people who were engaged in it were hippies and they, they were dropping out of society type thing. Whereas now organic farmers are very professional, they're very focused. And you find that conventional farmers, the pressure is to use less and less um, pesticides on their crops. Um, the amount, the, the range of products that they can use is becoming less and less. So they're having to... In- use more organic type methods to control um, and that's only right and that's good and it's all progress and Jerry, if I could farm without chemicals in the morning I would <laughs> I know you would I know you would and, 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 and it is a big challenge and it's something that's not like a light bulb that you can switch on and off overnight it's a thing, it's a progressive thing but look, at I, I hear what you're saying and uh, you know, there's a greater awareness about this and long may this continue this, this evolving. Absolutely. Look, before we finish up, he, he, here's something I'll just Another big one I'll throw mm. at you. You're a young fella yourself. Mm. What about the next generation yeah. of young farmers? Yeah. Do you believe that in Ireland it's for young people and it can give them a great living and a great life? Of course it can. And like, you know, the, I've met people who will do anything, parents who will do anything to ensure that their their kids do something other than farm. You know, farmers. Um, and I, I think that's really sad in some cases because the child has an obvious passion for for farming. Um, I, I think if you've got a passion, no matter what it's for, if it's a passion for broadcasting or teaching or fixing machines or growing crops, you should follow that passion because you'll be naturally good at it. You won't resent the hours that you put into it. It's the Bill Gates kind of theory you know you put in 10,000 hours into something you become an expert in it Um, and so to answer your question of course there's going to be a future for farmers in this country for people who are passionate about it uh, who who are prepared to try something different um, who you know aren't going to say listen my dad did this and my granddad did, did this before me and I'm still doing it and why aren't I making any money out of it that's not good enough you know, I, I went over to Holland um, in the spring uh, to look at um, flower growing techniques over there because I have to go to Holland to figure out stuff. It's the Dutch men who know everything about growing flowers. And the first farm I got to, um, the farmer had told me he just invested in two uh, driverless machines. Um, they were basically powered by solar panels and they drove, they basically, I don't know if you've ever seen robotic lawnmowers, they basically yes. go around yeah. a field by themselves and they had little jets on them and they could just do a little pst on top of a weed when they spotted a weed and the camera's on it, yeah? And it reduced the chemical, you were asking me about chemical usage, it was able to reduce its chemical usage by 99% by using that because it was just targeting the weed, it didn't have to blanket spray the crop. Plus he was saving on emissions. The catch, 75 grand a pop. Yeah, he bought two of them. And I was going, oh my God, I'm up. Th- this is what I'm up against. But look, this is exciting too. The, you know, so it's not that we're going to have fields that, you know, no farmers existing in the future and it's just going to be big corporations. I mean, we put in robots to milk our dairy cows on the farm at home, Jerry, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, my dad went out and bought robots, three robots to milk cows. And it was amazing technology and still is. Um, but you still had to get up every morning and check on your cows and fix things and make sure feed is going in and all the rest of it. So it's going to still take stockmanship. So, you know, there's this fear that A, there isn't going to be, Irish farmers aren't going to be able to compete. Wrong. There's this fear that farming is going to compete 
completely automated and be robots doing it all. Wrong. And there's this theory that nobody will want to farm in the future because we'll all be have cushy jobs drinking cappuccinos. Wrong. <laughs> I'm putting me boots on. I'm with you as you leave the studio. Darren McCullough, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. And nice to thanks for coming into us today and I wish you well with the flowers. Yeah, we're going to get a lovely so picture of these and I'll put them up later on. Great. You can see what we're talking about. Darren, thanks a million. You're welcome. You do know at this stage that we've teamed up on Late Lunch this week with Coors Light who want to reward life's big and small victories through their new awards called the Rockies. We're giving you the chance to win cash, Coors Light goodies and the, the big party. Yes, it's happening on the 29th of August in Ridley's in Dundalk where the big celebration will take place. On the line with me this afternoon to tell us about her big win in life is Marion McGinney. Hello, Marion. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for taking my call. We're rolling back, what, three years or so, is it? Three years, just over three years. And you, your big win really began a long way from Ireland. Tell us the story. Well, I was on a holiday in Australia with my husband. I visited my two sons and their partner and wife. And um, I was very heavy. I was almost 22 stone. And... um, Declan says, my mum, why don't you give it a try? There was one time you were here before and you lost weight. So we started, they eat very healthy and I started to eat the way they ate. And I started to walk with them. And the very first walk they did, I did with them was 18 kilometres. And I nearly died after. I could but imagine. I, I kept going. And by the time I was coming from Australia, six and a half weeks later, I weighed a lot less. I can't remember what it was. And I thought, if I can do this in Australia, I can do it at home. So home you come, on the road, because this big win of yours started in Australia. You came home a Tuesday, was it you arrived home? I arrived home on the Tuesday, and I looked to see where Slim and Wolves had their classes that week. And there was one in Dowdles Hill in the football club on a Wednesday night, and I joined there. Straight away? And I straight away. And I got into it and I just loved it. And um, I've lost over 10 stone. And uh, it wasn't plain sailing all the way. Some weeks I would have £2 on and other week I'd have £1 off. Yes. But it's brilliant. So you've lost over 10 stone. And what does that mean? Don't mind me asking you, what size of clothes would, would you have shopped for back then when you had all this weight on? Well, there was only outside shops that I could shop in. And if I bought a trousers or a dress, it was a size 30 and the trousers had to be half elasticated. My. And today? I'm a size 14 and I can get into one leg of the trousers. I can put my whole body into one leg of the trousers. <laughs> Marion, I'm laughing with joy. You know what I mean? I, yeah. That's that's the way I feel, That, that yeah. what you've just told us about. What a big, this is a huge victory, isn't it, in your life? A big win for you? Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely. The biggest win I could ever have. Uh, indeed it is. Well, listen, so I was trying to work out, so 10 stone and there's 14 a pound. Now, I'm not going metric here. I'm still imperial. About 140 pounds. Well, I'm going to add, I'm going to add back on to you today, but it's into your pocket and it doesn't weigh that much. 200 euro cash. How does that sound? That sounds brilliant. <laughs> Great, thanks very much. Today. Yes, you win. Thanks to Coors Light today. You are a winner with your big win in your life. 200 euro, Marion, for you. We have a Coors Light goodie uh, pack as well, and we want to see you in Ridley's. Is that all right on the 29th for the big party? You'll come along, oh, won't you? That's great. And I just want to put a wee plug in for 
Slimming World and Dial Tell we have an absolutely brilliant consultant. Anybody that thinks you can't lose weight, Diana, talk it off, yeah. There you go. Congratulations. Thanks for telling your story to us this afternoon. Thanks, Marion. Take care of yourself. Have you a big win, a victory in your life? We want to hear about it on Late Lunch Friday. I have another 200 to give away tomorrow and more besides. Have you a story of a win or a victory in your life to tell us? Please do let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text across social media or you can call in on 1850-715-958. And do make sure you always drink sensibly. Check out drinkaware.ie. It's over 18s and always be sensible. That's the message today. But thanks to Coors Light, we're giving away cool cash and more besides every day this week on your late lunch. Moving along swiftly, Fiona Squibb is on the line and from the highs and joys of Marion's story and her win. Fiona, how are you? I'm not too bad, getting there. Well, let me tell listeners why you're talking to me for the next few minutes. Fiona Squibb, we know her well on late lunch on LMFM. She is the Loud SPCA officer. What happened the the evening, uh, not last night, the evening before? Well, it was in the morning, yesterday morning, the girls walked in and found that uh, our place had been, um, what can I say, rubbished. They'd gone into the mobile home. First of all, the, the door on the mobile home was open, so they kind of knew something was wrong, but they, they just thought somebody was in there. But the place had been absolutely wrecked inside, curtains pulled off, um, what do you call it, uh, bleach spilled all over the place and over clothes and over towels and everything. Um, vinegar, for some unknown reason, thrown around the place. Beer thrown around the floors. All the seats were all wet in the caravan. Um, blinds pulled down. Oh, I can't think of it. And then go over the other side to the office and the door had been kicked in and they had taken our brand new CCTV uh, system. It was the actual, um, what do you call it, the hard board? Is it? The hard yes, board? yes, yeah. yes. Uh, the hard drive, wherever, from the CCTV. And yeah. tell us, yeah. since since the story broke yesterday here, what the, the dog food, what did they do with the dog food? Well... As as the day went on, everybody was looking everywhere for different things and found different things. And um, we found um, dog food in the base of the bed in the bedroom where you have to, you know, lift up the mattress and then there's a kind of a cubby hole where they could keep blankets and stuff. And they'd put dog food in there, obviously wet food, just so that we it would smell, I assume. Mm. So they absolutely ransacked yeah, uh, yeah. all in sundry at Loud yeah. SPCAF offices in Midloud. Yeah, and they um, broke our our um, fire, our gas fire that we have for the winter time in there. Mm. That was just smashed. Um, they put sh- shampoo all over the whole load of toilet rolls that we had in a cupboard. Just mindless. Oh, mindless. can I, I? I want to say a word on the air today, but I can't. And and I'd I love know. to. Dis- <laughs> I'd love to describe them. I'd love to get near them. I know the guardia are on the job, and investigations are continuing. And hopefully, somebody will be uh, brought before the courts for this, and you know, penalised heavily for what has happened here. Because I know the work you do in rescuing dogs and looking after them, and it takes every single euro you gather. Just before you go, there is a GoFundMe page set up. So I believe, yeah, I did. I was away last night, so I actually yes. did until this morning. But yes, so I believe there is a, a GoFundMe page, yes. To help you out there. Well, I mean, it's, it's our volunteers. I mean, they're all in shock. They're, they're walking yes. around. They're, they're, luckily, the animals weren't hurt. 
Yeah, that's the man. And I know that's always your primary concern down there uh, about the uh, the dogs you look after. Well, you do a wonderful job, Fiona. I just want to give a little more highlighting. If anyone can help you, get in touch with Loud SPCA. And it's another shocking example of mindless morons yeah. wrecking something that's so important to so many people. Fiona, thanks for taking our call. No, thank you for giving us the time. No, not at all. You're very welcome thank there. You. Fiona Squibb is the loud SPCA officer in the Wee County. Darren McCullough is sitting listening to the, the last uh, two chats I've had there with the Coors winner and Fiona Squibb. Darren, wouldn't that just... Uh, it just... seemed very malicious. Yeah, I mean, they, crazy. Like, they, they spread all the dog food around the place. I mean, they uh, were they trying to make a point? I don't know what they were trying to do, but uh, I'd love to make a point of the myself yeah. if you found out who it was just want to just before you go there is one thing you want you want to mention your your, your good lady yeah my uh, wife uh, Aoife Slack has just got a new job in uh, St. Patrick's uh, National School in Stamullen oh, she's lovely. the uh, principal new principal there starting oh, next week so I want to wish her the very best look I'm really proud of her. She's she's going to do great. So um, she can drop that title. Are you Darren McCullough's wife? That's gone now, <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, I'll be forever now. Eva Slack's husband. Ah, the that's the way that's to have it. Well one. done, Eva. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to you. And thanks again, Dara. Let's head to a news and sport at three o'clock. And afterwards, we'll be catching up with Team Carry. Yes, I want to say a big congratulations to Simon Fagan, Pat Klusky and Sean Fanning. You see, those boys own a horse called Darver Star. He's trained by Gavin Cromwell. He's had big wins lately. Wexford, Down Royal and Listole yesterday. Big one in Listole yesterday. Well done, boys. Darver Star certainly is a star. And we're going to have a chat with Simon and the lads tomorrow on Late Lunch. Jerry, your statement, leave Ulster aside in your conversation with Darren McCullough needs clarification. 33% of Ulster is in the Republic. Uh, uh, yes, I I know what you're saying there. It's the Ulster Farmers I was talking about, and they are in the six counties, of course. And uh, you do, of course, have to be licensed to spray f- professionally. Dara did mention that. Thanks for your co- comment. Um, Dara refers to dairy farming as ethical. Yearly cows are impregnated, calves taken away, over milking, and then they go for slaughter. How can that be ethical? Says a listener this afternoon. Um, Jerry, you opened your piece on the new. Uh, Loud County Grounds to say it's great news about Loud GAA. It's certainly not great news, says a listener. Drogheda is the home of the county team. Shame on everyone involved. Well, you see, Drogheda had been dithering and dathering for years and years uh, at the Gaelic Grounds. Uh, and, you know, there comes a time when you have to just call a halt and to have the grounds done and it's happening and it's just only a few minutes up the road on the motorway anyway but uh, I hear what you're saying but uh, you know they had the opportunity and they squandered it the rest is history at this stage uh, just want to tell you about something happening tonight in Dunlear yes a fine lecture taking place in St Bridget's Hall at 8 o'clock it's to coincide with National Heritage Week and it's a lecture to commemorate Dr Patrick Alphonsus he was known as Alfie Hannerty who ministered in the local dispensary in Dunlear around the 1950s and he's a fabulous story his son Brian is delivering that lecture so if you want an evening to remember get along to the hall in Dunlear this very evening St Bridget's Hall 8 o'clock free the lecture is and there's refreshments afterwards and they'd love to see you and then looking to the weekend on Garda Shia Connor organising an emergency services day in Navin, Navin O'Mahony's Bruise Hill Saturday from 12 to 3 
There'll be information stands, face painting, helicopters coming in to land, CPR demonstration and prizes for the best dressed children. Tug of war between the emergency services. Not to be missed. Navin, O'Mahony's 12 to 3 this Saturday, Emergency Services Day. You do know we follow Team Carry every year. It's year 10. It's the final year of Team Carry to the Dublin Marathon. We have three featured runners this year. We've met them a couple of times already on the show. I popped along to Dunlear last night to see what's happening. They're with us next. Yes, it's my August visit to Team Carry. We were here back in July just to check in with the guys who are following to the marathon this year. And David Carry is getting everybody out tonight on the roads round the track here. Hey, I wouldn't put a milk bottle out this evening. Oh, Jerry, you would if there was cream on the top of it. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. But uh, it is, this, these are the challenging evenings. Yeah, uh, for runners, it's actually a good night for running because it's about 13, 14 degrees. So the rain won't hamper them at all. They will get on with their training. The turtles are doing six miles tonight and all the hares are doing eight miles. But they're all here, they're raring to go and uh, the rain won't affect them at all. 66 days to go. 66 days to the Dublin Marathon and um, we're on week 10 of the 20 week training programme all geared towards the Dublin Marathon uh, 26.2 mile we're just building momentum now we're really looking forward in the next few weeks the last time you're with us Jerry, we're just after completing the, the Fingal 10k so our next milestone is this Saturday which is the Frank Duffy 10 mile in the Phoenix Park and uh, I have to say we're a little bit ahead of the plan so we're going to just take it back a notch this weekend Sarah, Rachel and Ian Pat are doing really well. We know from before, Ian Pat is going for his 10th Dublin Marathon. He has a lot of experience and Rachel has run three in a row and we have our rookie, uh, Sarah McCann. I've run my first Dublin Marathon in 1987. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, everyone is preparing for the first marathon because you're always going to hit a bump in the road. Even though they may have run before, or not, it doesn't matter. You are training for your first ever marathon. And anyone out there as well that's listening in and training for the marathon, you, if you're going for your first marathon, brilliant. But anyone that has ran before, you know yourself. Keep preparing like it was for your first marathon and you'll be fine. Great stuff. Sarah McCann is the rookie of the group this year that we're featuring. And we mentioned the cream on the milk bottle a moment ago. Well, you're like the cat that got the cream. Tell them why. So last weekend, just gone, I had my longest ever run. So the longest I've ever run in my entire life. So up until last Saturday, I'd only ever run 13.1 miles, which is a half marathon. And last Saturday, I ran for the first time ever 15 miles. And Jerry, you'd think I won a marathon. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? We started from here, a group of us, and we ended here. And uh, one of the lads I was running with kind of knew I was going to react like that I didn't know I was going to react like that because he said to one of the guys wait till you see Sarah coming in here now she's just after running her longest ever run and two seconds later I come in and I was like I was just like I said you think I won a marathon I can't explain it apart from saying it was just such a mental leap in my head to know that I could do longer than I've done and then it makes the next one more achievable do you know what I mean because I'd only ever run that so in my head I thought that was as far as I could run until now and then you start realising you can run more you know what I mean it's terrific I'm delighted for you so Saturday will be a doddle the uh, (laughs) the 10 mile on Saturday that you're all heading to well it's never a doddle because you're kind of getting in your race mind at that point you know what I mean but you just always know then that you can do it and then it's a matter of I suppose your pacing and your timing and how quick you want to do it and how quick you can do it on the day you know but I suppose it does get doubts it starts to take the doubts out of your head because the doubts are there and for me as the newbie the doubts have always been there that oh my god I've only ever ran a half marathon am I going to be and you you 
you see everybody else doing it and you know you can do it but you still doubt it until bit by bit by bit you start making it and like you know you think I would kind of know it from hanging around with Team Carrie for so long but I think when it's happening to you it's a very different experience if that yeah. makes any sense yeah any glitches hitches or how are you feeling you know because you're on this programme now you're obviously looking after yourself in every way and you're exercising way more than you have been yeah and then I've been talking to David a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks I suppose I didn't realise how much the kind of self-care part of you know your training is as important as you're caring for yourself. So, you know, I'm getting, I hate to say it, but I am getting regular back massages because my lower back, when I started into the long runs, I went, hang on, I've never felt my lower back. Just a wee bit sore, not like agony or pain, but um, I started realising, hang on, I need to be doing a bit of work on my lower back to strengthen it up. And then also I've been going for kind of back massages every two weeks. And uh, Epsom salts and the bath are my new best friend. Again, you don't realise until you kick into it how important all that stuff is. Um, so lower back thankfully now even the last couple of weeks I can feel it even getting stronger and it's not annoying me at all now in the long runs which is great but I made a rookie mistake the other day which I know is very stupid and it doesn't really have that much to do with running but it affects my running I wore a bad pair of shoes to the fla in Drogheda on Thursday night and I stripped the skin off both of my ankles so for the last I know it's just a stupid thing to do so for the last couple of of runs I've been competing but they've been been fine once I get the compete on but it's almost like little rookie mistakes like that kind of would, would start to impact on you ah, but, but you're looking at a bit of book lepping at the fly you'll always remember <laughs> it and interesting though really interesting and the little things that you don't take into consideration yeah. anyway steady as she goes nice to catch up with you thank see you see you next month well done Thanks, Rachel Kelly is next up third marathon and in great fettle you're up to how many miles now I'm up to 16 miles now and I did that last Saturday morning and I'm still excited like Sarah is for the first rookie, for me, this is my seventh marathon I'm training for. And every time I get up to 16 miles, it's just like, oh my God, I've only got 10 more miles left yeah. for the full marathon. And I just feel so excited, just as I feel excited I've ever walked at the very beginning. It's just amazing, fantastic. You've been through this before and David said there he's stepping it back a little. You understand the programme, you know, you're pushed out to 16, you're going to come back in the Frank Duffy to 10 at the weekend. That's right, that's really kind of give the body time to recover mm. because you've been running nearly half a mile for the last couple of weeks for the 10 miles kind of step back and also to see how you're, what, how you're at, what time you might complete the marathon in what time frame you might have in mind. So the 10 mile is actually quite important. And also, to get used to get up early in the morning, packing a bag, get the mindset at the bus, have the singer-song on the way to Dublin, I'd be already there for the next event, which is the half marathon. That's so interesting. Yeah. Again, all around this, David always emphasises that. It's sort of a dry run, but, you know, the real feel for Marathon Day, the Frank Duffy. Absolutely. And also, as well as that, it's everybody comes together on the bus because we all have a little group from our training. But on the day, everyone comes together like a big, happy family. And we all sing songs and it's emotional. We get photographs taken, all the selfies, and it's just fantastic. And you have to be a part of it to understand what it's about. It's just amazing. You say you're preparing for your seven marathon, three in Dublin. This one, anything different? Or how are you? How are you physically? How are you getting on? Touch wood, I've been very lucky so far. No injuries. And like what Sarah said, I haven't been minding myself and making sure any niggles to get dealt with and get ropes out and Epsom bath salts and just make sure you mind yourself and just take all my slow ones easy. Don't be rushing and just enjoy the runs, basically. I kind of got more wiser this time around and I'm just enjoying it and just not worry about time and the pressure. Just go with the flow, basically, yeah. 
and your house and husband and everybody at home understands what this is about as well. They, they're part of this, aren't they? Your families and everybody. Yes, they do understand it. And they all, they, they remind me, gosh, it was six o'clock in the morning, Saturday, to go out my long runs and come back three or four hours later and I'm just like flaked over the rest of the day and that's it I want to be pampered I want to be looked after <laughs> and that happens that happens that's it. and I want a cup of tea my sandwich is made for me absolutely yeah <laughs> oh, it's lovely because it does involve everybody as well so you're well set happy at this time I mentioned when we mentioned the days to go it's getting closer and closer isn't it I can't believe it. how many days is it 66 oh god I can't believe it just much faster this time around and yeah it's nerve wracking but exciting at the same time okay. yeah Rachel, look at the evening that's in it. Not August weather, you wouldn't think. Real, real autumnal weather. You're heading off now for your run. I am indeed. I've got to do a six-mile now in Mandy, Maria. I'm going to go off now and have a cup of tea now afterwards. I say, I love my tea and my buns and the chat with David as well afterwards. The world will be sorted. <laughs> it's another aspect of Team Carry, isn't that's it, Rachel? It. Thank you. See you in September. Thank you very much. Thanks a million. And the man himself we're featuring this year, Ian Pat Carroll. What have you got in your arms there this a, evening? That's our little mascot, Squeaky. A chicken? Yes, Squeaky's travel rust. Give him a squeeze there. <laughs> <laughs> has this been part and parcel since the beginning of this? Oh, indeed he has. And I have a chicken outfit to match as well. <laughs> Co- a couple, couple of years ago, I, I, I was suffering with uh, ch- chest infections. So I said, if I put the running gear on me... I'm going to try and run and I says no I think I'll put the chicken outfit on and I'll walk so I reckon that was the hottest chicken in the park that day ah sure you were Pat you're some boy anyway 10 10 out of 10 for you this one compared to all the others how are you feeling same as the first one you know you still have to put the, put the effort in again last year I had a knee operation last year and I coaxed myself did what I was told to do and I won't say I'm flying yet but I'm getting there I had a I did a 10 mile myself last Saturday or Sunday with uh, some of the crew that are going to Berlin so uh, because we've trained together they said sure uh, why don't you join us for the 10 mile because we're not doing the 10 and we're not doing the half so okay entered and I had quite a good run so I was quite pleased that uh, as Dave would say you need to be training about an hour, a minute to a minute and a half slower and the fact that when I went out and ran that's the way the figures worked out for me my race was about a minute a mile faster than my training runs. So I was delighted with that, mm. making progress. And that's what it's all about. The plan. You've stuck to the plan that this man has developed and people are running to this plan all over Ireland and outside Ireland to marathons as well. Yeah, the plan is there, but as David will always say, it's not, it's not in stone. To me, the most important part is the long run. Okay. The long run is vitally important because that's where you're conditioning the body, especially the, on the long runs, to run slower and slower. So on the day of the marathon, you, you have the strength and... You know, you're gonna you're gonna go out and do eighteen or twenty mile, maybe twenty two mile in a long run. So when you go out in Martinique, well, you're gonna say, well, I'm at least gonna get twenty two, twenty three mile done. Should the rest four miles? Should that's only the loop around on Leo? So you get that into your head, and that's yeah. psychologically that's the way you operate. You know, and when you're at different stages when you're struggling, you'll think, well, I have six miles to go. Well, that's the six mile loop, and you don't think you're in Dublin at all. You try and picture yourself running around on layer, and that's the way I do it anyway. Yeah, it's a, a great system. It's worked well, hasn't it, for you for the last nine and will in year ten as well. Injury free, everything okay. You mentioned last year's operation you had on that as well. No twinges or twitches this time. A little, few little twinges, but sure. 
that's old age as well, like, you know. <laughs> Miles on the clock, Miles as they on say. the clock, you know. That's for sure. You know, I'm the class of 59, as we say. <laughs> and looking good in it, I have to say, as well, myself. Anyway, you have a job to do here tonight besides all this. Those people in there have to be fed and watered. Oh, the boilers are on. The, and in fact, uh, as Rachel was saying, she gets pampered. I'm, I'm lucky. Well, I'm lucky and unlucky to a point. I have the wife going up as far as the half marathon with me this year. So she joined us the first couple of years. And funny enough, the year she stopped to introduce the medal. So I said, look, it's the last year. Why don't you join us for the half marathon this year and get the medal you deserve for doing a half marathon? So she comes up here early in the evening and gets the boilers on and gets out for her run. And then an odd time we go out ourselves and she'll go slow. I'll go fast. And Well done, Nora. Behind every great man, as they say. See you in September. Please, God. Thanks, Thanks a million. Man. Thanks, Pat. Well, David, all in fine. <laughs> Isn't he just like a classic car, Jerry? He's, he just, he's vintage and he's classic. and uh, He goes forever. goes forever, yeah. Sarah, as you've seen, she's, she's in new territory now. You know, it's really good to see her, how she's developed. Ian Pat's the classic car, and Rachel, as you've as, as found out, is doing really well. So it's, we're all on schedule, all going according to plan. We'll be introducing the next few weeks a more carbohydrate diet and all that kind of thing. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything is, is going according to plan A at the moment. Our next event is the Dublin Half Marathon, which is the 21st of September. OK, well, look, we'll see you around then before or after to check in with the guys again. And then before you know it, you're into October and she flies along and we're heading for Dublin in the final year of Team Carry 2019, 10 years on the road. David, thanks a million. I'll let you away there. You have a lot of work to do and I hold you up here when I come down these evenings. But thanks indeed for being such a great friend to us on Late Lunch. Thanks, Sherry, and thanks for coming along again this year. And we look forward to seeing you next month. Thanks to everybody at Team Carry. Thanks to Brian Farley for flying the ship yesterday and today with me. Eddie's up next with The Drive. See you tomorrow. Half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The elegant, classy and agile Renault Megane Hot Hatch is fantastic with a chassis tuned for thrills. What are you waiting for? Drop in to Blackstone Motors and test drive a 192 Megane Hatch, Sports Tourer or Grand Coupe Toda. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.